Would you say that Christians are characterized more by unity or by division? Well, critics would often say division. I mean, by some counts, there are tens of thousands of denominations. How many different Christian churches are there where you live? Well, the town where I live is a fairly small rural community, population about 4,000. And I can count over a dozen Christian churches just in my town. A Wesleyan Church, a Congregational, Baptist, Nazarene, Catholic, Lutheran, United Methodist, Reformed, Christian Reformed, Alliance, Assembly of God, Independent Bible, a Bible Believers Church, a Vineyard Church, and that's probably not even all of them. Well, for our next two podcasts on Discover the Word, the group's going to be talking about some advice from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans about getting along. Why can't we all just get along? Be part of that conversation that begins next. And welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. I'm Brian Hedinga, inviting you to pull up a chair and be part of the conversation that the group will be having about unity and diversity and getting along as followers of Christ. Because, you know, I named all those different Christian churches in my fairly small town. But is it even realistic to say that in any of those individual churches that all the people that go to any particular church get along? I would guess probably not. And so this message from Paul was needed in Rome, and it's obviously needed today. Why can't we all just get along? It's going to be an important study in Romans that the group does over the uh, next two podcasts. Taking part will be Marta Hahn and Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And I think we're going to discover with them in Romans 12 and following a number of things that will contribute to followers of Christ being more characterized by unity. After all, isn't that what Jesus wanted for us when he prayed for us in John 17? Well, Elisa has put this series together, and so uh, let's listen as she gets us started. Did you guys have siblings, and did you ever fight? <laughs> How did your parents handle that when you fought? I have six siblings. Oh, man, that's right, Bill. <laughs> that's, yep. I have three brothers and three sisters, and all of us fought all the time. Mm -hmm. okay. It was kind of this universal reality growing up. Daniel, what about you? Yeah, three younger sisters, and uh, they just would not do things the way I thought they should. <laughs> so we didn't get along as much you as didn't. we should have. Yeah. <laughs> there were four of us brothers, mm -hmm. and I remember the brother closest to me, we used to go at it. You know, really? And you know what's so funny is we ended up working together in life. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I have an older sister and a younger brother, and then I have two half and a step, so it's kind of complicated. But it's an interesting group around this table because we have kind of all different mixes. How did your parents handle your fighting? Did you have any ground rules or any you-have-tos? No blood. No blood, see? <laughs> yes, I remember that one. Mm -hmm. My mom was a peacemaker, uh -huh. and so she did not like 
fighting in the house. But the most common thing that I heard was, wait till your father gets home. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I can remember my sister and I grew up in a single mom family. My sister and I would be in the back seat in those, what do they call those sedans, Mm -hmm. like an Impala, you know, driving from Houston to Fort Worth, Texas. And my sister and I would draw a line across the seat. And if anybody came across it, then we would have these claw wars where we'd grab each other's forearms and dig our fingernails. Bad, bad. As a mom, though, of my two children, a daughter and then the son, I really got uncomfortable when they fought. And I had this technique, I'm not sure it was terrific, (laughs) but I would make them sit down cross-legged on the carpet, looking eye to eye with their knees touching, and I would make them stay there until they could be kind to each other. (laughs) They did not like this. So when are they going to get up? I know. (laughs) I'll bet that really worked. No, it did not work. But my whole point was, I'm very close to my brother now, and I'm very close to my sister now, and we have different relationships. But we stuck it out in some way. And I think that's what I've been after as a parent. But can we really legislate that kind of getting along? That's what I was thinking of, because you hear a parent forcing a child to say, say you're sorry, mm-hmm. you know, or to force the child to forgive. A little later on, you're, you can't do that. You yeah. can't force it. You can control and get the words. True. But we can't control people and their hearts and their motivations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think your comment, Daniel, about wait till your father gets home is a fun metaphor for where we're going <laughs> in the next several <laughs> conversations. We're going to a surprising place, I think, with this introduction. We're going to the Book of Romans. And this book of Romans is a fascinating letter. We always think of it for what? Theology. Theology. You know, the basic doctrines of Christianity that Paul set down. But recently when I was journeying through it, I thought this isn't heady theology. This is applied theology. This is how we're supposed to live. This is how we're supposed to get along for when our father comes back and when our father comes <laughs> yeah. home, so to speak. And so that's where I want to take us. I see in here principles for how can't we all just get along? Can we have a healthy relationship? On the basis of what Paul has said, right? Yes. The good news prior to that. Exactly. In fact, can we just review a little bit of the history of this book? Paul is setting out theology and their basic tenets. Can you think of some of them that come to mind? We're not going to go through them all today, but just some of them. Well, you had mentioned how most of us think of the book of Romans and immediately the Romans road comes to mind. I think that's definitely one of the foundational pieces of this book. Dan and Neth and I, just mm-hmm. the basic points, not all of them, but just yeah. what was the idea of the road? Yeah, so Romans 3.23, 6.23, and 10.9 and 10, yeah. which is basically walking through that all people have sinned, that we need God to come into our lives and change our hearts, mm-hmm. and that if we confess that with our mouths and believe that in our hearts, then we find salvation. Okay. And so there's some very specific doctrines laid out. As we get into this applied theology, these are almost like 10 Beatitudes, if you will, because they all start with a B, (laughs) as I pulled them out of the text, looking at be this, be that, be this other thing, be this, add to this. That's how I'm seeing them. It's who we are. It's how we be with each other that God's called us to because of the theology, that we are fallen creatures. And God gave his son, Jesus, that we could be in a restored relationship. And I think that's the key. And that goes back to what Mart said earlier. I think none of this works unless there has been the work of God in the Mm -hmm. heart of a person. We can't be 
anything right. apart from him. And that's where we're going to come every day. We're pretty much going to come right back to that. Because otherwise, it's like being a really nice person. Or even out of a sense of guilt or feeling out of, if I don't do it, mm-hmm. it's a fear of consequence sometimes, mm-hmm. or it's in the presence of other people. You don't want to be shamed. You don't want to you know, look dumb or look bad in the presence of others. Kind of a defense posture. Mm -hmm. But again, we find in the Gospels, Jesus' harshest words were saved for the people who, through religion, practiced an empty morality. Yeah. Well, looking really good. Yeah. Here's some things about the book of Romans. And this is so interesting to me. Paul had never been to Rome. He'd never met the people that he's writing to. And what's so interesting to me as I began to look at this deeply is Paul is writing in the year 57, okay, about in 49, Emperor Claudius expelled all the Jewish Christians from the city of Rome. That left just the Gentile believers. So Paul is writing now after Claudius died and the Jewish Christians have returned. He's writing to a people who haven't been together, who've been used to being apart. And now they're challenged with, what do I believe? And how Mm -hmm. does what I believe make a difference in who I am, in who we are together, and probably most important in how we are the body of Christ? Well, that's what our churches are like today, Mm -hmm. everywhere, all around the globe. Mm -hmm. Can't we just get along? You know, we may fight over denominational issues, but we have deep schisms over ideas, over lifestyles, over views politically, and we're not sure what to think, Mm -hmm. much less how to live and worship together. Okay, what you're describing is not just the mix of Christians and Jewish people but of Christians and Jewish people who share a common belief in Christ, but who are still going to have a difficult time getting along. So just like us, there's people within our own bodies, within our own churches that believe differently. And we are also living elbow to elbow with other people in our world that don't believe the way we do. And I think there's some great B attitudes, you know, within this applied theology that can help us. And the first one I want to look at today is in Romans 12, 1 and 2, very familiar verses. Daniel, do you have those? Would you just read those for us? Sure. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We've read those verses many times, many Mm. of us. What pops out of the text to you? Right away is living sacrifice. That doesn't seem to go together. (laughs) That's an oxymoron, (laughs) isn't it? What jumps out to me is what you pointed us to earlier and what Mark did as well, and that's this challenge to be transformed. Mm-hmm. It's easy to let that one slip by, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and it's really absolutely the foundation of yeah. our whole conversation. A living sacrifice is so startling. I mean, mm-hmm. a sacrifice was an animal taken to an altar, killed. Mm-hmm. And Paul talks about, after he's just laid out all of theology here about how we need our Savior and how to live with our Savior, he now says, you present your body as a living sacrifice, and be transformed. Yeah. Do you think he was thinking of Christ at that point? Yeah, because Christ was the dying sacrifice, in a sense, so that we could be a living sacrifice in his name. Is that okay. what you're getting to? I'm just wondering. I haven't thought about it before, okay. but I thought even in his life and in his suffering, there was a sense in which he was alive and yet mm-hmm. sacrificing himself. Mm-hmm. And he probably did that in spirit and in mm-hmm. principle throughout his three years of ministry. 
He was giving of himself. Well, it reminds me of the passage that talks about how we're supposed to take up our crosses and follow mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. which is a similar idea. Right. It's this application of it in our own everyday being. Mm-hmm. In fact, the verb is a metamorphosis kind of verb. It's an ongoing, it's an everyday, all day being different because mm-hmm. he was different. So how are we going to get along with each other, you know, mm-hmm. we who are different in our world? It boils down to beginning at the beginning, being transformed because of what Jesus did in his sacrifice. We then enter into it ourselves, being a sacrifice by being transformed. Have you known a person, or maybe a child, or maybe growing up, who was labeled with the term a gifted person? Gifted. I've seen children like that, and you just say, oh, good night. Yeah. They're way beyond their years, right. you know, and then you find they're very intelligent mm-hmm. and a lot of times in a very narrow way. In a narrow way. Yeah. Musicians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially, they, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've definitely seen some stories recently about people that are really good at math who are really young, mm-hmm. which kind of blows my mind because mm-hmm. I wasn't that great at math even as I got old. And sometimes there is a giftedness that goes with other diagnoses where an individual is super gifted in mindful activity, but maybe less so in relational, maybe even hampered relationally. Right, yeah, Mm -hmm. it can go that way. It can. A lot of times the challenge is just simply social because they're so good they tend to get, you know, channeled into a certain way of life and then they're separated out from other kids. It's amazing, but then they don't get a chance to be just normal. They don't get social integration at that point, yeah. no. I want to kind of think about this concept of gifting. When we think about it, we may think about somebody who has abilities that are different from us and therefore separate from us. But I think in New Testament times, when Paul's talking about the concept of spiritual gifting, he's talking about qualities and characteristics and abilities that the Holy Spirit has given to individuals for what purpose? for building up the body of Christ. And for really socializing one another. Socializing one another. And I think maybe just this concept of gifting and how we may ostracize people mm, could inform how we may have trouble getting along with people who are gifted in different ways than we mm-hmm. are in our churches, in our communities. Yeah, which shows up in some of Paul's other letters, it right? It does. Like what are you Corinth- thinking of? I'm thinking of the Corinthians. Yeah. Okay. I mean, their gifts became a real source of contention. Yeah. Because they tended to either value the person who had the knowledge or the person who had the eloquence to express mm-hmm. themselves. A whole bunch of different gifts. And Paul really, he entered into that, struggled with them. Kind of sounds like the church today, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right? We get so focused on the pastor that can preach a great sermon that right. we forget there's a whole group of people in that church that are supposedly Christians. And I don't think any of us would guess at who is and who isn't. But if that's true, then all of them have gifts to bring. Mm -hmm. And yet we're all gathering on a Sunday just to listen to one person's gifts. Good point. That's so true. We tend to focus on the platform gifts because the celebrity mindset of the larger culture has found its way into the culture of the church. There's a kind of a celebrity approach to things. Mm -hmm. So if what you do is platform worthy, somehow that's elevated above everything else. So then the opposite of that, and Daniel, I'm thinking too of what you're saying. I mean, there's a value there in the person themselves, and not only a value, but a gift. In Ephesians, it says, the riches of the glories of the inheritance of the saints. It's talking about the inheritance, all of us are the inheritance of God. There's a richness there, but that richness, we don't see it often because we don't 
get to know people in a way where we learn what their gifts are and see what they bring. But that's where that richness of being a part of the body of Christ comes from. But we don't often partake of it. And consequently, we may even label, judge, evaluate, push away certain giftings, maybe sometimes not intentionally, but sometimes deliberately because we rank gifts in that way. And Paul is addressing, I think, that very human tendency in Romans 12 here where we're focusing some of our attention. And I wanted to pull this out as we're looking at a string of Beatitudes from the book of Romans. And how can we get along with each other when we're different from each other? We're different faith backgrounds. We're different socioeconomic backgrounds. We're different colors of skin. We're different ages, etc. different nations. How can we get along? And so we looked yesterday at being transformed as being this foundational quality. It is because we step into relationship with Jesus that we even have the ability to get along with each other. But today I want to look at another principle, and it's to be gifted, unapologetically gifted as we begin to interact with each other. Let's read Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. Can we just go around together, maybe, Mark? Can you start it off and then Daniel, then Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is in serving, this is verse 7, then serve. If it is in teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. It's a long list of a lot of different (laughs) gifts. And Paul's words are basically, if you have this, use it. Yeah. That's the gist. And use it for the benefit of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. And he uses an analogy of the body in verse 4 with many members, members that don't all have the same function. In other sections of Scripture, he also talks about, you know, if the eye is not the hand, you know, just a few yeah. verses earlier. We need to understand the complexity of the body. All of the gifts, all of the members are necessary for the body to function. Yeah. That's the metaphor he's using. Right. What if we just don't get it? What if we just don't believe we're gifted? I'm guessing there's a lot of us yeah. mm-hmm. who just look at everybody else and say, I don't feel like I have anything to give. And I think the reverse is common, too, of, well, you don't have what I have. Yeah. Sorry, we go one way or the other, and so you're really not gifted. Yeah, I think both of those are the opposite ends of the spectrum. And yeah. I think sometimes the simple answer is, if they know Jesus, they're wrong. They do have gifts. <laughs> but I think so much of the time, we sense our own emptiness and our own frailty, or maybe a certain moment in life Mm -hmm. where we're just diminished. And maybe we have gifts, but we just don't have anything to give Mm -hmm. because of where we are in life at that moment. I'd almost say we could push it back even further. Not just if you know Jesus, you're wrong, but according to the very beginning of this whole book that we're looking at, in Genesis it says that everyone is made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, if we Mm -hmm. really believe that the image of God is on each of us, then who are we to say we're not gifted? Because God has already 
bestowed his likeness on us. That's, good. That's a good point. Everybody has been given mm-hmm. for the sake of one another and for his honor. Yeah, it starts from that breath, doesn't mm-hmm. it? So I love the way our conversation is going because we're like stopped at the end of our passage today and now we're building back up to the beginning of the passage <laughs> today uh, because what Paul starts out in this little section we're looking at in verse 3 is, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Mm. We always focus on that, you know, don't get a big head, don't get fat-headed. But really, I think what Paul's intention here is have an accurate understanding, which is exactly what you're all pointing out. Mm. Because you're made in the image of God, because you have a relationship Mm. with God, because you live in the body of Christ, you are Mm. gifted. Have sober judgment. What does that mean, sober judgment? It means accurate, mm-hmm. just an accurate sense. So not um, the worm theology. No, it, <laughs> I have nothing to offer. Because really, you know, we understand that false humility is just another face for pride, mm-hmm. right? So it's not, don't think of yourself at all. Yep. Be realistic. Yeah. Recognize who you are, who God has made you to be, and what God has given you. Be okay with that. That's right. And he also talks about respond in accordance with the faith God has given you and with the grace that God has given to each of us. You know, it's different, just like you said, Mar. You know, and there are moments, Bill, you said, I don't may not feel like I have anything to bring in this season. Sometimes, Mar, as you said, I don't feel like I have anything to bring mm-hmm. in any season. But Daniel, as you said, God says we're all created in the image of God. I want to stop with this thought. When I get into the place where I think people around me don't have any gifts to give me or I don't have any gifts to give them, you know, in this place of smallness. One of the things that I'm learning is that I need to enter into my own personal need. Sometimes I can't see others' giftings or my own because I so defend myself from need. If I come out and say, I have a cold and my voice doesn't sound so great. Could you talk as much in this program as I do? (laughs) You know, which is what we're doing today because I have a little bit of a cold. I'm going to experience more of your gifting because I've exposed more of my need. Good point. In that part of our conversation, we experience the gifting of others and the blessing of receiving when we admit our need. God gives different gifts to different members of the body, and we all have a contribution to make when we live in accordance with the ways that we've been gifted. And so, how can we all just get along? Well, be gifted. You're listening to Discover the Word, and part one of our study called, Why Can't We All Just Get Along? Because from politics to personal relationships, it seems like people are as divided as they've ever been. And that includes the church. But Paul has another reason in this letter to the Romans that Christians can get along. And we'll talk about it right after we take a short break. Let me ask you something. Do you ever feel lonely? feel like no one really understands what you're going through. Well, it may be fairly normal to feel that way at times, but it sure doesn't feel good. And so Elisa Morgan addresses those times when we're in that spot in her book, You Are Not Alone, Six Affirmations from a Loving God. As you know from studying with her on Discover the Word, Elisa has an engaging and heartfelt way of exploring subjects like this. 
And so in this book, she looks at the common experience of loneliness and examines the scriptures to reassure and remind you that God is with you even when it doesn't feel like he is. I'd encourage you to get a copy of You Are Not Alone when you go online to discovertheword.org. Look for the link that we have there this week. Or you can search any of the online booksellers for You Are Not Alone by Elisa Morgan. And now let's continue this study in the book of Romans and discover another reason why Christians can get along. Even with Christians who are diverse in so many ways, there can be unity when we choose to be loving. Okay, I just want to get us going today thinking about what are some one-sentence, kind of almost throwaways about love, some little ditties that you've heard all your life about love. All you need is love. Now, of course, <laughs> Bill. Of course, a true Beatle guy. Well, I think my dad adjusted the where God says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. My dad used to always say, if you love me, you'll do what I say. <laughs> yeah, how about this love wins? It's kind of a popular yeah. one, yeah. isn't it? I got one. I saw this on a T-shirt, and I actually wrote an Our Daily Bread article about it, and it said, love is for losers. And I just thought, man, this person's been burned. They've been badly hurt. Mm -hmm. They don't want to ever go there again. And this lady wrote back and said, no, that you don't know what that was about. It's about tennis. Because oh. love is zero <laughs> in tennis. Oh. And so if you have that's love, awesome. you lose. <laughs> oh, that's pretty clever. And, you know, it's kind of upside down with the gospel. So that I thought you were going that direction. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm a loser and I need love. And, you know, I think it's really easy to trivialize love. You know, love makes the world go round. You know, love never fails. These sayings are so familiar and they end up trivializing it. And I think actually our conversation has been surprising because what your dad told you, Daniel, mm -hmm. and what you even came up with, Mart Love Wins, those are kind of fresh new takes. And yet it's so difficult to unpack that. What does that mean in an everyday life? Yeah. And don't you find that a lot of people have just had it with love? I get so sick of hearing you say, love everybody. Yes. I find that people have almost got a resistance. It's almost like we've been inoculated against what is probably the most important you know, expression of our life. It ends up really hardening you because you don't see anything authentic. You know, for my generation, we have a lot of pressure to love everyone, but the way it's been defined culturally is to accept everything and not critique or not disagree or anything, but just to accept who this person is regardless of what they believe or think or anything. So even that has a different version of love than what we see in the And Bible. we really have to think that through, don't we? Because there is a sense in which, you know, love is, the arms go out wide, yeah. Yeah. but not without discernment. Yeah. And I think you can love somebody and really have convictions about a principle of ethics or whatever, and yet your heart can just go out to them in spite of the fact, yeah. you know, that they hold something. We don't have to be on our moral soapboxes all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. It's not an easy thing to do to just love. What does love look like within communities that share basic tenets of faith? What does love look like within a world that shares maybe some values, but not maybe yeah. any kind of tenets of faith. Let's look at what Paul talks about regarding love. And he talks about it in many places. And Mart has led us through an amazing series called Falling Into Love from 1 Corinthians 13. That's also hugely unpacked love for mm -hmm. us. But we're looking at Romans chapters 12 to 15 and several conversations as Paul applies 
the theology that he's laid out in the book of Romans. He applies it into life. Remind us, what's unique about this group of Roman believers? There's several churches here. What's unique about them? Well, you had told us earlier, Lisa, that there was a period of time of about five years, I think you said, mm-hmm. where the Jewish believers had been driven out of Rome by the Caesar. And so for a long period of time, the Jewish believers and the non-Jewish believers have been apart. And now they're coming back together again, and that gives some context to what Paul's saying. Yeah, and that has to explain then why Paul begins the letter the way he does, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you mean, Mark? Well, in the first chapter, he's talking about how the Gentiles, just how the world tends to kind of fall apart and devolve. And then in the second chapter, he's really speaking specifically to the Jewish mindset Mm -hmm. People who think that because we have the law, therefore we're kind of better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. But he sustains that emphasis on the Jews and the Gentiles. He started out the letter saying it's the gospel, the good news is for everybody. Mm -hmm. I think your introduction the other day, the way you set up this whole series, I thought, you know, you're right. That's exactly what Paul is doing. Well, he really models it from the beginning of the book forward, although it's more theological. But now as we get into chapter 12, let's unpack love, you know, because he does model it. What is it supposed to do? And we're going to be looking at verses 9 to 21 of Romans chapter 12. Daniel, do you want to start us and then let's go around? Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Rejoice in our confident hope, but patient in trouble and keep on praying. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Hmm. Okay, so many words here. But don't you love it that he's actually, I think he's addressing what we've been saying. It's so easy to just think of love as a superficial thin thing. Yeah, Yeah. because there's so many ways to express it or not. And he hits both sides of that equation. He's setting up to define it by saying, let love be genuine. So immediately my question is, okay, well, what does genuine love look like? Mm -hmm. And he tells us. He does tell us. Maybe you're kind of worn out. Well, don't be lacking in zeal. Maybe you have abundance. Well, then share with people who are in need. Well, maybe somebody's been persecuting you. Well, then bless them. He's showing how to act it out with, what was the word you used, Daniel, in verse 9? Let love be genuine. Genuine. It all seems like any circumstance, any relationship, any moment in any circumstance, you can introduce love into it and it transforms your response. So true. Because it doesn't matter what you're dealing with or where you are. All of us can find ourselves in this definition in some place. Like that is what right now I need to work on. Yeah. And to me, the one that jumped out was as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Uh, you know, in a world that is obviously not peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. And what I love about that is, you know, I end up 
in conflict with people. I work in the business world, so sometimes I have customers that are unreasonable, and there's only so much I can do to help them be at peace or for me to yeah. be at peace with them. And so I find freedom in that verse of as far as it depends on me, it's not up to me to create the peace, but as far as it depends on me to do my best mm -hmm. to show them that love and be yeah. at peace. So all of us can find different things within this passage. That's where I am right now. That's yeah. what love needs to look like for me. You know, here's the reality is that love trumps. Love wins. Love is for losers. Love is what we do if we care for somebody. But it has to be sincere. And so Paul personalizes love in a myriad of very specific situations mm -hmm. with a body of believers who are diverse. Mm -hmm. They have different basic ideologies, different basic nations. And he brings them together and he says, no matter what your circumstance, I want you to focus on love. I think it's something that I heard recently because we live in such a contentious culture. It caught my attention. And a woman was being interviewed and she was talking about the very hard reality that we think today that if you're not for me, you know, if you don't believe everything I believe, if you don't accept exactly as you started to talk about, Daniel, earlier, what I believe, then you're against me. And she unpacked that and she said, hey, to be for someone is to be loving toward them. Hmm. And it doesn't mean you have to believe every single thing that they believe. It doesn't mean you're going to vote the way they're going to vote necessarily, or you're going to paint your living room wall the same color they would paint their living room wall. Nor does it mean that you have to tell them that they're wrong about all the things <laughs> you think they're wrong about. Yeah. Right? And I think that's where the genius of this, if you will, is how Paul brackets all of these ideas. He starts off with saying, love must be genuine, and then he ends with saying, overcome evil with good. Yeah. Hmm. Well, those two ideas are directly linked yeah. because you can't do good unless you're doing it out of love. Yeah. And we're going to see as he continues this later in the week in Romans 13, verse 9, he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Mm. Whoever loves fulfills the law. You know, bottom line is we consider how can we just get along with each other within the body of Christ and then as the body of Christ with our world and our community yeah. around us. Because we've been transformed, you know, because we are gifted, we can be loving in every situation. Be loving. That's another aspect, a huge aspect, of how Romans helps us to answer the question, why can't we all just get along? Well, this is the Discover the Word podcast with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Mark DeHaan, and Daniel Ryan Day. And now this next part of the discussion will likely raise some questions in your mind right away when I tell you what it's going to be about. Because I don't think we react well, and we right away think of reasons not to when we hear be submissive. Say you're driving down the road and you spot a red and blue light in your rearview mirror, okay? And you'll check your speedometer and you go, oh my gosh, I'm over the speed limit. What's your immediate response? Well, this happened to me a few months ago, so oh. I can speak into this. <laughs> True confessions. <laughs> uh, I was embarrassed. Yeah. I mean, the officer came to the window and he said, do you have any idea how fast you're going? I said, yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. I mean, what else can you do at that point? Now you can start counting up what it's going to cost. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, I won't I even just... go there. It's a <laughs> sickening feeling that mm -hmm. I have a hard time even explaining, but 
the last one that happened to me was I had actually just picked up a new puppy. <laughs> and so I actually really didn't know how fast I was going because he had started chewing on my cords in the car. <laughs> and the speed limit had just changed. And so oh, the wow. officer came to the window and said, do you know how fast you're going? I was like, no, I just got this puppy. He's like, you just got that dog. He's actually really well behaved. And I was like, well, you should have seen him a minute ago. And <laughs> so he actually let me off. But yeah, that feeling, there's nothing like that. Yeah, I can remember when my son was maybe five or six, I was on the way to a speaking engagement <laughs> and got pulled over and he was in the back seat and his eyes were just like saucers going, are you going to jail, mommy? And I'm like, oh my word, you know, <laughs> that most of us have had that experience. And I think there's maybe two responses we get to authority. We can either resist it or we can respect it. And we have to make a choice. Mm. Now, we're four white people sitting around a table mm. in Grand Rapids, Michigan, talking about what happens when a red and blue light comes up mm. in your rearview mirror. And I would imagine that our response is very different to some of our brothers and sisters who maybe have a different color of skin. And that happens. As bad as we think our own are. I mean, as badly as we feel for ourselves, it's not like what others have to face. No. Or what no, they feel. No, because there are contexts that lead others to make certain assumptions. And there are historical reasons for emotions that mm -hmm. get triggered in a mm -hmm. second mm -hmm. for folks who have maybe a different color of skin. But the title of our series this week is not lost on me. Can't we all just get along? And this book of Romans, Paul's writing to a culture in the city of Rome where Jewish believers have been sent away under the tyrannical reign of one of the Caesars for a period of five years, and now they've been brought back to the Gentile believers. And he's helping them understand the theology of the first several chapters of this book in terms of applying it. How can we get along? But that title, Can't We All Just Get Along, has a context in American history as well, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, people might read this with different backgrounds. So... Why were the Jewish Christians removed? Was there that same kind of animosity where you would have the authority of Rome picking on this one group of people? That's what I understand. You know, they were confessing one God. Mm -hmm. So they were resisting this whole idea of Caesar, of allowing for many gods and even claiming himself to be divine. Mm -hmm. So they were like a, a burr. So even within this context of this passage... Paul's writing to a group of people like us that would see blue lights and think of one way with authority, as well as that other group who would look at that same authority and think something very different. Yeah. And whether it's the first century or the 21st century, there's a cultural tension between people and authority, no matter where you are on the sliding scale. I mean, if you're in authority, you want to protect that authority. Right. If you are under the thumb of that authority, then the reaction may not be to respect, but to resist. Hmm. So we've got two different cultures coming together. To my question of what is the history of the phrase, can't we all just get along here in America? It is about two cultures striving mm -hmm. together. And it was said by Rodney King yeah. in 1992-ish around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Rodney King was the victim mm -hmm. of this police assault and the police involved were white. Mm -hmm. In his comments to the press... He was tearful and burdened and asked the question, can't we all just get along? And so when we talk about submitting to governing authorities and we talk about, you know, how do we get along? That's what I was trying to suggest here is there are a couple of ways we innately respond. We either resist it 
for several reasons, Mm -hmm. or we're going to respect it. And Paul directs these first century believers through their theology of who Jesus is, what he's accomplished to buy a new kind of life for them. He directs them in terms of how they should respond to governing authorities, even authorities that may not have been very protective or even appropriate. So let's look at what he says here. As we look at yet another beatitude in our discussions this week, we're looking at the concept of be submissive, be submissive. We're going to look at Romans chapter 13 now, verses 1 through 7. And Bill, let's start off and go around and read these verses together. Okay, Romans 13, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right. They'll honor you. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. Give respect and honor to those who are in authority. So Rome is the imperial capital, the seat of the empire's civil government. Roman readers knew the glory and the shame of the city. And we've talked about how the Jewish believers were exiled for a period, and Paul is writing after they've returned. But now what's happening is there is another Caesar, Nero, is coming in, 54 to 68 or so, on the heels of Claudius, and he is a tyrant who's very specifically persecuting any Christian. Okay, so not just the Jews, but any Christian. And Paul's writing these instructions into this. What do you take away from this? It makes me angry just reading it, to be honest. My (laughs) stomach tightens up, Mm -hmm. and I say, I don't want anybody to read this. Because put against the backdrop of that period that you described Mm -hmm. in America, Mm -hmm. and then as we've been saying, put it against the backdrop of the first century Christian community, the Jewish community in Rome. It just doesn't seem right to say that. And you read these verses, and I know they're in the Bible, Mm -hmm. and I know they're inspired of God, Mm -hmm. and I want to say, but wait a minute. There's a time to resist. (laughs) There has to be a time to resist. There is a time to resist. You're right. And a lot of godly people have done that. We see that in Scripture. you know. But what do people like Daniel in the Bible show us, too, about authority? Mm -hmm. He respected his authority. Even when it was, you could put a very bad face on that authority. Sure. The one story that I think of, I have two really good friends, one of my best friends, who he and his wife are a man and woman of color. And with all the tension that we see on issues like this, and was able to ask them, basically, how do you want me to respond in these situations? Because it's really hard to know what to trust and what to know is true. And... They said very simply, we just want to know that you see it, that you condemn it, and that you care about us. Mm-hmm. And so I've been trying to apply that as I run into people that have a different skin color than myself, which is basically, I'm sorry you have to deal with what you have to deal with. 
I don't know the details. I don't know what it feels like to be you. But the best that I can do right now is just to let you know I see that tension and that I care about you. Right. Mm -hmm. So, Elisa, how do you put this together? Oh, I have all the answers. You do. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we were waiting for. (laughs) You know what? One of y'all, would you mind turning to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20? I don't want to just tack on a little quick solution. This tension is incredibly real. In today's political climate here, which is a long way from Rodney King, we see the same issues still happening that happened in 1992 and happened in the first century. But Paul writes, the same author here, writes in Philippians 3.20, a sentence that perhaps enlightens us. Daniel, do you have that? Mm -hmm. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mark, do you have verse 21? He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power by which he will bring everything under his control. Yeah, mine says, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies. And this is where we need to remember as we confront these kinds of situations, we also keep reminded of the fact that we have a true and better king and we're citizens of his kingdom. And so when we engage authority in this world, we recognize a better authority that always gets it right. Exploring the dual citizenship that we balance as Christians, because, you know, ultimately our citizenship is in heaven, but there is a balance that we need to maintain. And so we need wisdom to know how to live this be submissive part of our call to unity out. In this next segment, we're going to wrap up the first half of our study of the book of Romans called Why Can't We All Just Get Along? And Elise is going to start out by asking the group to do something that a great majority of us would have a tough time doing. According to a poll I saw recently, they said only 14% of Americans can do this. And I don't know, even that seems like kind of a high number. Would you be able to? Is the group going to be able to? Okay, can you guys name the Ten Commandments? Can we rattle them off here? Okay, you shall have no other gods beside me, says the God who delivered his people out of Egypt. Good. Honor your father and mother. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Thou shalt not kill. You shall not make graven images. Don't lie. Mm -hmm. Thou shalt not steal. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Mm -hmm. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Do the Ten Commandments matter today? They matter in terms of the fact that... This is information that we've been given that marked out God's covenant with Israel. I find it really interesting that all of the Ten Commandments, except the Sabbath prohibitive, are repeated at some level in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. But they have a whole different perspective in which they are represented. Mm. Well, there is still a moral compass embodied in them. But if you try to live by the Ten Commandments, they'll just kill you. They'll condemn you. Mm -hmm. And if you ignore them... Life will be a mess, too. So the question is, how do you get to the spirit of the Ten Commandments, right? How do we live in their wisdom? I love the phrase you just said, the spirit of the Ten Commandments. How do we live in their wisdom? And that's where we're going today as we continue our conversation about um, Romans 12 to 15, which is this can't we just get along concept of how do we do life together as believers, and in our world with people who don't yet know Jesus, how do we do life? And it's more than just following 10 
commandments, Mart, as you're saying. Let's review a little bit about where we are, you know, what we've covered so far as we conclude these first five conversations. We're in the book of Romans, and what do we know about the context that Paul's writing to? Uh, We know that there's two groups of people in his audience that have become one group. Mm-hmm. and In Rome, right? In Rome. Yeah. And, and there's probably many churches and this letter was more circular, yeah. going to several. Yeah, that's one thing we definitely know about the letters in the New Testament is oftentimes they were passed from church yeah. to church. Yeah. And, so, and who were the two groups? Well, you had presented to us on the first day that there was a group of Jewish Christians and then there was a group of Gentile Christians and that for a season, the Jewish Christians had actually been fully removed from the church, kicked out of Rome. And it was just recently Mm -hmm. that they had all been brought back together. And so a lot of what Romans is addressing is how these two very different groups of people can live together in love that we talked about. And in um, their differences. And in their differences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. I think the idea that you've been going for, too, at least if I'm hearing you right, is that that good news of those first chapters is a transforming message. It's a transforming belief. And so now the question is, okay, and what does that transformation look like? Right? Exactly. And so we've talked about these B phrases, be transformed, be gifted, be loving, be submissive. And we come today to an interesting reference to the Ten Commandments. And to me, at first glance, it's puzzling. Why are we going back there? When all Paul's been doing is bringing us forward into a new way of life. So let's consider how can this section of Scripture inform how we get along in our very divergent cultures, in our very divergent churches. It's a Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 14. Mark, you want to start? Okay. Paul writes, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Let us live honorably, as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. (laughs) Why this reference to the law? What is Paul saying here? It seems like he's addressing the Jewish Christian community and he's giving them a new way to look at the law. Yeah, because, again, one of the things we know about the early church in general from Paul's letters is that there was this real conflict going on between people who had embraced Christ but were still promoting law as the way to live in Jesus' name. You see that in Galatians and other places. So he's not just addressing this to the Romans, but, I mean, this is a big problem. Are we going to be governed by the law or are we going to live in the love of Christ? And if so, what does that look like? And not only that, but he's taking these commandments that 
even we, if we talk about growing up hearing commandments, it was always about not doing. Mm-hmm. And he's transforming the conversation to, no, 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 love's not just not doing these things, but it's active. It's also doing this, mm-hmm. which he describes there of loving your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, and he actually merges the two sides, doesn't mm-hmm. he? The negative and the positive. How do you see that? It's kind of like, well, don't just think about not doing because the way you fulfill the not doing is by the loving. Yeah. And he's so balanced. Yeah. I mean, in other places, he says, the law is good. <laughs> no question about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And he's echoing what Jesus said, yeah. which when Jesus took all the commandments and he basically said, look, I know this is a lot to remember, so I'm going to help you out. Yeah. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Yeah. That is what all of the law and the prophets hinge on. Yeah. And once again, I think we have to go back to where you started us off, Elisa. We can't do that. I mean, we can't do the 613 commandments of the law, but we can't do those things that you just mm-hmm. reminded us of, Daniel, unless our life is being transformed by God's love. Yeah. And even there, even in being transformed, we're still not living up to <laughs> that perfect good mm. standard. Mm. Looking at the second part of our section today, verses 11 to 14, he starts talking about law-ish kinds of stuff, though. He starts talking about behavior. He talks about the future, and that's the context we want to remember. But he talks about behaving decently in verse 13, as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness and sexual immorality and debauchery and not in dissension and jealousy. And he uses this metaphor of darkness and light and clothing ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's interesting to me, I think we're all understanding that we're in a new day, a new day that's beyond the law. Mm -hmm. And yet there's still some specifics about behavior that Paul's addressing. What do you think he's including those for? There's a what and there's a how. What do you mean? Well, the what is to live a life that reflects love, the love Mm -hmm. of God. I think what Paul's bringing Mm -hmm. to the letter and to these readers and to ourselves is, how are you going to do it? Yeah, yeah. And I think verse 14, that last verse, is kind of the summation statement Mm -hmm. where he says, do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Because if all we're focusing on ourselves then we can't be loving one another in the way that Jesus is calling us to. There is a being wise here. Love fulfills the law. That's wisdom. We're going to learn from the law. We're going to carry forward the moral understanding and the compass of it, but not the requirements of it that make us acceptable. Jesus has made us acceptable, but we're not going to flush the heart of it. And this is where I want us to focus as we conclude our conversation today is in Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, mm-hmm. fulfilled the law. And Alicia, if somebody says, but where do I get that love? I want to, but I'm empty. I keep mm-hmm. falling over my, where do I get that love? Yeah. I look all the way back at our very first conversation on this section from the very first day, chapter 12, verse one, it's by the mercies of God. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in that spot of how do I love someone, what does that look like? What am I supposed to do to show them love? How do I change my heart Mm -hmm. to actually love that person? And you're saying that prayerfully. God, help me. uh, God, help me. And it's by his mercy Mm -hmm. that we are transformed to be able to love. And so it is. It's a pleading. God, change my heart. 
as in so much of this, we need to receive the love ourselves that God asks us to give to others. So the debt that's outstanding may be our own understanding of our own indebtedness, not in a shameful way, but in a gratitude way of, I need you, God. I need you, Jesus. Come love me that I might love others. Working our way through the last few chapters of the book of Romans together here on the Discover the Word podcast and exploring how the Apostle Paul in this letter is encouraging the church, even with all the diversity in it, to be unified, to be one in Christ. Mark DeHaan, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day finishing up the first half of our study called Why Can't We All Just Get Along? And I hope you'll make it a point to be at the table with the group for the next episode and part two. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Now, as a nonprofit ministry, we rely on the generous, voluntary support of friends like you. We get the group together to explore the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible, and your gift helps to make that possible, and so thank you. To give a gift in support of this ministry or to sign up to become one of our monthly Discover the Word partners and give a recurring gift each month in whatever amount you choose, go to discovertheword.org, click on the Donate tab, and we'll walk you through your options and the process. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.